0: My name is Mark, and I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm also a proud Filipino, which confuses a lot of people, because many people think that I'm Samoan, or Fijian, or black, and it's a privilege to be called all those things, but let's get it straight. I am Filipino. My family's Filipino. I was born here, but when someone asks me, a Filipino asks me, where were you born? Or, sorry, where? How, when's the last time you were home? My first response is, it's been 13 years, because home is the Philippines for me and every Filipino out there. Uh, that hometown, that home refers to the Southeast Asian nation composed of 7,101 islands populated by 92 million souls in a culture influenced by Malaysia and China, Spain and the U.S., Christianity and Islam, but with a culture all its own. In other words, it's the home of the only boxer to hold world title- titles in eight different, eight different weight divisions. I give you Manny Pacquiao. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. No. Marquez. (sighs) All right. I actually bring up Pacquiao because he's a national hero, and not because of his achievements, but because of his past. Pacquiao worked on the streets as a kid. He never finished high school, and at the age of 14, he went out on his own because his mother couldn't afford to care for him and his five siblings. In a country where 24 million people live below the poverty line, Manny Pacquiao is inspirational because he overcame his circumstances. He is a beacon of hope. Of the Philippines' 92 million citizens, 9 million live overseas, working in various countries as maids, nurses, construction workers, domestic help, and the like. And in 2009, those 9 million people, making very little money, sent back $15.8 billion dollars. That's 11% of the country's national income coming from remittance, money being sent back home. To help illustrate how that works, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my family. My grandfather was a coconut farmer, and so was his family. Mom's family consists of nine siblings, and in an agrarian culture, more children means more free manual labor. (laughs) So they were well off compared to the rest of the community, but everyone was either below the poverty line or just a bit above it. Alcohol abuse and drug abuse were common and are a common feature of the community, as was hopelessness. My mom's family, however, realized that there was a way out. Education. The eldest sister, who never finished high school, got a job in the city, sent money back home to help out the family, and to fund the education of her younger sister. That sister went to college, and when she started working, she sent home money so that her younger sister, my mom, could go to college. My mom started working and sent money home to her brother so he could go to college, and the pattern continued. The others would also get jobs in the city or in other countries, send that money back home to fund the education of their siblings, their nieces, their nephews, and the extended family. In effect, each individual was taking part in the rescue of the entire family, one individual at a time. And they weren't just giving money. They were giving something better, something more important. They were giving them the hope that a better life was possible. I wouldn't be standing here otherwise. Now, this story is not unique to the Philippines or Filipino culture by any means, but it might sound a little odd to us right now in our modern American culture that prizes individualism and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. We get locked into believing that we have to build our own lives, our own families, and our own careers on our own. Receive help from somewhere else? That's crazy. Bill Gates did it. Steve Jobs did it on his own. So should I. I don't need your help. My financial trouble, I can handle it. My depression, I'll shake it off. My family problems, I'm strong. Loneliness, who needs friends? I lift my eyes up to the hills because my help comes from the Lord, not from you. And we get stuck in this mindset. It's a pridefulness that keeps us from accepting the help that God is offering through those around us. And it's a misconception that keeps us from believing that I have no role in my own rescue. When it comes to our own rescue, our pride gets in the way. When it comes to helping others in their rescue, our expectations get in the way. I might very well be part of the solution for you, and you might be asking for my help. But I won't take part in it because the problem is out of my expertise, or I'm scared, or honestly, I just don't want to be bothered. Your family problems... That's really your business. Your depression? I'm sorry. I'm not a counselor. Your loneliness. I'd love to help, but I'm I'm just too busy. Your financial trouble. I have enough financial problems of my own, so I'm not saying we should act unilaterally, nominate ourselves as the Messiah, get in each other's business and start mucking around. But let's be clear. God regularly, regularly uses people in the rescue of others. God regularly uses people in their own rescue. Rescue doesn't happen unless we take part in it. And it's a truth found in biblical story after biblical story. People cooperate with God in rescue plans. And if we look at one of those stories in particular, the story of Exodus, we can see some aspects about that act of yes, rescue that we're often blind to. Now, to illustrate it, you may notice that at your feet you have a red rope that runs down the row of chairs, and loops the back around. I would like you to pick up that rope and rest it in your hand for the next few minutes. Folks in the back, 1999 doesn't buy enough hope uh, and doubt, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh. The rope, that red rope in your hand, represents doubt, discouragement, and hopelessness. It holds you down. And living in, de- in desperate circumstances fosters doubt within a community. My hopeless attitude affects you. And to quote one of my favorite movies, We're dead, man. We're all dead, man. Game over, man. My hopelessness affects you. Your hopelessness affects the person next to you. And so on, and so on, and so on. We tell one another, why do you keep trying? Nothing will get better. This is your fate. Just give up. But all it takes to change things is for a little hope to be introduced through word and action. Like a tiny flame in the darkness, hope says, there is a way out. There is someone that cares. It's not over. When you receive a blue rope, I'd like you to rest that in your hand as well. And at some point, you'll be holding both hope and doubt in your hands, and that's just like real life. But let's start at the beginning. As you may remember last week, we live in the space between the two trees, between the first book of Genesis and the last book of Revelation, and in this space, we seek meaning for our lives. In this space, God singles out a man named Abraham, and he tells him, from you, nations will be born, and I will make a promise to you and your descendants. I will give you a land, I will be your God, and you will be a blessing to the world. With this promise, God gives Abraham hope that his life and the life of his family would have meaning. And Abraham dies. Passing on this (laughs) hope—very short rule— he passes on this hope to his son, and he to his son, and he to his sons. But his descendants, they become slaves in the land of Egypt. These descendants, the Israelites, cry out for help for 400 years— and there is none to be seen. Some hold out hope of rescue, but doubt feeds upon doubt. We will never make it out. We're stuck. It's over. Their masters inflict upon them the death of their infant sons. But among, many of, among those many infants, just one is rescued. One is drawn out of the Nile River, and as an adult, he commits murder. Ooh, and flees a potential death sentence in Egypt. He can't see it yet. Because he's so mired in his circumstances. But this man, Moses, is destined to partner with God in one of the greatest acts of rescue ever undertaken. You may not see it yet because you're mired in your circumstances, but you have a similar destiny. Right now, God is starting the work of rescue in your life and in the life of others. And he's waiting to partner with someone. He's waiting to partner with someone and bring hope to the proceedings. And it may just be you that he's waiting for. But back to Moses. God says to him, I will use you to rescue my people, the Israelites, from Egypt. Moses looks at himself with all his flaws and says, Who am I that I can do this? God says, I will be with you. Moses replies, "Uh, Who are you? God says, I am the one who made the promise to your ancestor Abraham, and I'm going to keep that promise. Moses says, "Uh, I'm, I'm really a bad choice for this rescue, and no one will ever believe me. But God says, I will give you a partner, I will give you signs that show I have sent you, and I will be with you. This rescue will not be easy. There will be setbacks along the way. But Moses begins to see just enough. He begins to believe just enough to believe that this God will do what he has set out to do. Moses goes to Egypt and tells the Israelites of God's plan, desperate for any relief, Israel believes. And so as Moses passes out hope to the Israelites, please accept it because this is the first ray of light in hundreds of years that you have received. And what we see here is that hope opens eyes to see what is possible. Our doubts cloud our vision, blinds us to any outcome but the worst possible one. A steady diet of hope in our lives It's like an old Polaroid picture It takes time to develop The promise to Abraham Was for Israel to live in a land of its own forever But Moses goes to the king of Egypt And says God only wants Israel to leave for a few days Why such a small request? Here's my thought Because like Moses All Israel wants Is for their situation to get a little bit better they were slaves for hundreds of years, and they can't see themselves as anything but slaves. Anything more than that is too big to hope for. They're still blind. And so is the Egyptian king. The king says no to Moses. He makes life more difficult for the Israelites, increasing their labor. They turn on Moses. Everybody, glare at Moses, please. <laughs> and Moses says to God, I gave it a shot, and you messed up, God. It's over. So often, we think short term. And when we fail, we think, it's over. Or better yet, we are rescued from something, and we're satisfied with just that thing. That's good enough. That's all I could ever hope for. The problem is that the symptom is taken care of, but the cause still remains. Rescue is an ongoing process, and it's progressive. You'll see in this story and in many stories throughout the Bible that rescue is that process which every, with every gain and every setback building on top of one another. God encourages Moses by reminding him of the promise to Abraham and says again, it's not going to be easy, but it will happen. And so Moses continues his work. And God begins to work miracle after miracle to convince the Egyptian king to change his mind. Over and over again, the king says, Yes! And then, no! Over and over, God reminds Moses of the promise. And Moses reminds the people of the promise. This pattern of yes, then no continues. And soon we discover that Moses isn't complaining about the rejections anymore. Because of God's constant encouragement, his constant reminders of rescue, step by step, hope has taken root in Moses. He's starting to see what God is doing. And with each success... Step by step, hope is opening the eyes of the Israel community. All we wanted was a lighter burden as slaves. But is rescue actually possible? Could God really be freeing us and bringing us out of Egypt? Now God asks the entire community to partner with him in his own rescue, in its own rescue. God says, I will deliver on the promise I made to your ancestor Abraham, but this is how it will happen. You must act. And on the night when God sends a final plague, the angel of death against Egypt, the Israelites are saved from death by following God's commands. They are participants in their own salvation. They follow God out of Egypt, across the Reed Sea, another act of cooperation. God parts the waters, but they have to trust him, and they have to walk through the gap. Now free from slavery, now carrying the wealth of Egypt, the eyes of the Israelites are opened, they see what's possible, and they are filled with hope! Until they realize that life's outside of slavery, outside of Egypt. It stinks. There are bumps on the way. Food, water, shelter, sun. How will you take care of us, God? But they continue to follow God. And finally they arrive at the holy mountain, where God reveals his progressive rescue plan. You thought small. And I had to take things slowly. First, all you could see was life in slavery. But through hope, I showed you there was more. Then all you could see was a temporary res- rescue or a reprieve from these chains. But through hope, I showed you there was more. Then all you could see was that freedom meant death in- from thirst and starvation in the desert. But through all that and through hope, I showed you there was more. This was a process of getting you to see. And now let me show you why I rescued you all of these painful things you experienced were merely symptoms of a disease. You thought you could live life on your own. You lived without hope. You lived without me. But you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will be your hope, now and forever. I will show you how to live with me and how to relive what we've gone through together so that you can remind one another that I am always there. Hope is always there. Now, as followers of Jesus, we believe that because of Jesus, hope came to us. It becomes our privilege and our purpose to share that hope with the world one person at a time, one community at a time. Rescue starts with hope and is fueled by hope. We can act just like Moses in others' lives, carrying hope to those who are homeless, those who are hungry, those separated or rejected by their community those trapped in places of darkness. In a world filled with people blinded by doubt and despair, God uses our words and our actions to open eyes to what is really possible. It may start smaller than we expect. It may take longer than we expect. It may be filled with setbacks that we don't see coming. But we know it's for a purpose. You need others, and they need you. Who needs that blue rope in your possession right now? Who needs help letting go of that red rope, how do we find out? Well, one way we can find out is by learning together. And there are many opportunities to do so. One such of those opportunities actually can you jump ahead a couple bit? Uh there we go. Is the foundation experiment, which Pastor Danielle and Pastor Kevin are leading on Tuesday nights. It is a Bible study, goes through twenty weeks, rigorous, but <laughs> sorry, sorry. But the point of it as you go through it, is you start to see how God rescued others so that they might be rescued themselves. And for us, you get to see how God can rescue us so that we can rescue others. Another is the Freedom Summit, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, two weeks? Next weekend. Wonderful. And we've been talking about slavery. And often we're enslaved to our feelings and our emotions and to the whims of other people. But these are people that are physically trapped. We can share hope with them. That blue rope in our hand, we can give it to them. We can also find out how we can live with hope by being together, by living together, and by remembering and reminding one another that what was possible in your life, and in your life, and in your life, is possible in mine, and in hers, and in his. This is Sarah Grace. That's Jason over there. And uh, uh, Moses over there is Steve. And I didn't choose them by accident to be here today. I chose them because in my life, they have acted like Abraham did and like Moses did, in cooperation with God. They have actually brought hope to me through their words of confer- con- encouragement and their acts of love. And it never would have happened if they didn't take part in my life and I didn't take a part in theirs. So if you remember anything about this message... Please remember this. Share your rope. That blue one. Not the red one. The blue one. Whatever form that takes. It could be your words. It could be your actions. But please share that rope. We all need hope. And we can give it to one another. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you then the eyes of the blind will be opened.